0: I just also want to thank you so much for your generosity, um, yesterday we did our community Christmas festival here at Grace Capital Church and we had a horse and wagon rides, we had uh, cookie decorating, ornament making, uh, carnival games, a bounce house, it was so much fun but we could not do that without your generosity. So. Thank you so much, Grace Capital Church. I want to give you a big hand because of that. But also, I want to let you know, this wasn't an event just to um, bless our own family, which was a blessing for our own church family, but I would say probably half of those who showed up and participated, and is a big number, uh, were from the community, which gave them the first experience of what it would mean to come into a church and, and experience people that would love them. And with the hopes that maybe we would have the privilege of building a relationship with them. And they would have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Grace Capital Church. Well, let's get into Matthew chapter 2. And here are the wise men or the magi. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem was with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes the people of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ, where the Christ was to be born? They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, a Judah, sorry, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and to ascertain from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring, him uh, bring me the word that I too may come and worship him. Herod was not going to worship him. He was going to go kill him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. My question for us today is um, the star. The star is a sign. And our signs... Good for us to look at today are signs informing us of something today. So we're going to learn from the Magi. We're going to learn from the wise men about signs. And we're going to title this, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of Signs. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of Signs. Because there's something that we need to understand about signs. There's God's way of communicating to people. After all, we've been talking about angelic visitations. That's a sign given to Mary and Joseph. And even dreams as signs given to the wise men here to say, don't go back to Herod. And and yet we are looking in today's age and, and looking at, okay... There's a lot of signs around us. What should we be looking at and what should it be telling us? And should we follow those signs? Are they ways to guide us or are they really a distraction for us? Signs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lessons from the Magi. But I want to let us know that, that let's just talk about signs from the good perspective, from the good perspective. If this is the good, the bad, and the ugly, the good part of signs. Signs have been known to, to give people direction, give people a, a sense of their faith and purpose. We remember in Judges chapter 6, the the account of Gideon, right, the, the fleece. And we we actually have termed, that basically on Gideon's life. We put a fleece out before the Lord. We're looking for a sign. And if you've done that, we know that sometimes that's okay and sometimes that's not okay, and we're going to be talking about the not okay of that. But, but there are times that we are saying, God, we want to hear from you, and we're unsure, so we're looking for a sign, and that's okay. That's okay. But let me tell you that, that sign should always lead us to Jesus. If you're looking for a sign, they should always lead us to Jesus, like the wise men were being led to Jesus by a sign, a star. Interesting thing about the wise men, though, some fun facts about them. How many wise men were there? See, see I know I didn't want you to answer, because I didn't want you to feel like you got the wrong answer. But traditionally, we've always seen in the Christmas narrative three wise men. But the only way that we have come up with that there were three was that there were three gifts. We don't know in Scripture how many wise men there were, but there were three gifts. So we assume that each wise man carried a gift. There might have been three, so you could be absolutely right. But we don't know for sure. It's interesting, though, these wise men, these magi, they came from the East, and what do we know of them? Maybe they were astrologers because they were looking for signs in the sky. We assume they were wealthy because they actually had gold to give, so that probably was a great indication, and we assume they were people of prominence because they had direct access to King Herod, but the wise men. We also know they're from the East, so they were not of Jewish descent. And so it was really fascinating that they would come. And in many ways, I love the account that wise men showed up on the scene to worship Jesus. is because it's showing that, that Jesus came not only from, for the Jews, but he came for all humanity. That the wise men who were non-Jewish, this was really the first act of a Gentile to come and worship Jesus, which was spectacular. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those those gifts have a lot of significance. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it, but gold representing the the king uh, represents the the authority that Jesus would have as a king. The frankincense would be a. Uh, thing that would be burned to show incense and really just showing that he was our intermediary. He is our way to our father in heaven. And then the myrrh would be representative of the death that he would have for us, that would take care of the sin of the world, that we would have direct access to God, our, our father. And so these gifts had great significance. The other interesting thing, we always put the magi, we always put the wise men, in with the shepherds in worshiping Jesus as a baby. But we do know that if they're following the star and um, Herod's involved, that we know that probably if Herod already knew this news, it was probably weeks, if not years, after Jesus was born before the wise men showed up. Those were just an aside. So now back to signs. Signs. The good part of signs is that God can communicate to us. Like the wise men, like Gideon, God gives signs to direct his people, but signs should always lead us to Jesus. Signs also strengthen our faith. And if you know that Jesus, when he was on earth, he performed many signs and miracles. And in many ways, he says, in this, in John chapter 4, 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And in many ways, he's trying to cultivate this belief. He's trying to cultivate faith in people. And so Jesus is saying, okay, signs are okay, but, but the signs should produce something, increase our faith. Signs should lead us to Jesus signs should lead us to Jesus. So that's the good. The the bad though is, is if the signs become signs unto themselves and, or testing God. And the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter four, verse seven, Matthew chapter four, verse seven. If you're taking notes, I know I go fast here. Maybe it's helpful. I should put those up on the screen, but I believe that you guys are good note takers and you can just jot that down. Matthew 7, 4, verse 7, if I give you the right reference. Matthew 4, verse 7, do not put the Lord your God to the test, it says. It warns against a faith solely based on demanding signs. And I, and I think this is really important to understand because if we begin to start demanding things of God, we, we leave out God's sovereignty that God, let God be God, we had a good friend um, that just passed this week, um, uh, Laura Gustafson, if you know her. She was um, a member of our church and she um, had cancer and she passed this past week. And, and we've been praying for God's healing for her. But for some reason, God chose not to heal her. And, and we have to trust in God's sovereignty in the middle of that. We can demand for signs, but if God doesn't perform the signs that we want, because many ways, if we're starting to demand, we're really looking for a genie in the bottle. We're not looking for a God, a sovereign God who is who knows best and sees what he is doing. He sees the bigger picture. And then we are also warned of the deception of false signs. And I think this is so timely for us because... Today, there are many false signs, and we know in the end times that there will be false prophets who will be proclaiming things that are not godly things, and there'll be false signs, and they will do the miraculous, and they will say that they're from God, but really they are not. Not all signs originate from God, and some can mean uh, mislead believers in Matthew twenty four twenty four. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders. So we're told. The scripture will tell us. There's the bad. So we have the good. The signs can lead us to Jesus. The bad is the signs can lead us away from Jesus. Signs should always lead us to Jesus. But the ugly, the ugly. A lot of times the the ugly part of signs is is people, and I've seen it in church, like if you've been in any revival-ish type scenarios, we begin to start seeing God move in in ways, but then we always go back and saying, wait a second, we need to see signs to see that God is moving. I always like when people say, well, if nobody's being slain in the spirit, if nobody's like hooplawing, and if we don't see all these signs, is God really moving? I said, Guess what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God is moving because he's moving in your life. The spirit of God dwells richly inside of you. Now, if God wants to perform those signs, great, but I don't look to those signs to give evidence of God's being alive and well in our lives. See, the ugly part of it is sometimes we can start focusing on signs and not focusing on Jesus because a sign should always lead us to Jesus. We get preoccupied with with looking at the signs. We need the manifestations. We need signs to tell us something. And really God is saying, would you just actually build a relationship with me and you can have confidence in who I am. So the ugly part is we could be replacing faith with signs. In Matthew chapter 12 verse 39 says a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for signs and so in one way jesus saying you need signs to believe but another sentence he's saying but but all you're looking for is signs and you're not actually looking for me because signs should always lead us to jesus are you catching the big idea today signs should always lead us to jesus So as you're beginning to look at signs, and I'm going to start actually saying, okay, Jesus' first arrival was by a sign of an angelic visitation and a sign by a star that that guided the wise men. And these wise men give us an idea that that it's okay to follow a sign, but our sign should always lead us to Jesus. We're going to start looking at some signs of Jesus' second coming. Because I think it's interesting, as the world is unfolding today, we'd have very strong evidence to say that there are signs of preparing us for Jesus' return. But as we begin to look at signs, the signs should always line up with the word of God and serve to strengthen and not to replace our faith. It's fascinating, right? We get really preoccupied with some really bizarre signs and we get, or not so bizarre signs, like we can get fascinated by even end time events And if they're not leading us to Jesus, the signs are actually not helpful. Signs should always lead us to Jesus. So let's look at some end time signs that are told um, to us from the scripture. First of all, we would know this. and, And by the way, there are different interpretations of what these signs are from different faith traditions, Christian faith traditions, but there would be some different interpretation. My job is not to interpret today, but my job is to communicate what the scripture says. Number one, in Matthew 24, 6 through 7, it says that there would be signs leading up to Jesus' second coming. There would be wars and conflicts. Jesus mentions there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And the escalation of conflicts today around the world. Now, conflict is not new, but the escalation of the number of conflicts. And I'm finding it's fascinating, but very sorrowful. The same way a lot of lives are being uh, taken in the um, um, Israeli-Palestinian war in Gaza. It's, It's... be looking at that. There seems to be something unfolding and it's seeming to be pulling in other people into that um, conflict as well. And this may be a sign of Jesus' second coming. Number two, it says in Luke 21, uh, verse 11, there would be uh, signs of natural disasters and the occurrence of earthquakes and famines and pestilence and fires can serve as signs in preparation of Jesus' return. It's intensifying in frequency, and aren't you excited? We're going to get another little uh, storm on Monday. It's not going to be snow. It's going to be rain or Sunday. Um, My kids love to surf, and so they're like, Dad, there's going to be 10-foot waves on the ocean. Let's do it. I'm like, do not put your life in danger like that, but they feel like it's fun. I see danger. They see opportunity for adventure. (laughs) Uh, Okay, number three, increase in lawlessness and immorality. Are we becoming a more moral society or a more immoral society? Are we becoming more law abiding or are we becoming more lawless? 2 Timothy 3 1 through 5 says, um, that it, it speaks of this rise of lawlessness and this decrease of moral values. And, and if you've seen that sign, and it's not just here in our, the U.S., it's, it's a, like a global phenomenon of, of people just doing what is right in their own eyes. Um, no longer law is uh, there to break, not to keep. And the moral, there's no moral compass any longer. Except those faithful right those faithful will want to pursue Jesus. Number four, persecution of Christians. And again, this is not new. This is throughout history. But this will be a signs of, of the return of, of Jesus. And so, by the way, if you ever face persecution as a Christian, consider it an honor. And in Matthew 24, verse 9, it said there would be hatred toward believers. And so just... Be prepared. There's going to be a rise of that. And I don't want you to be uh, unaware or unprepared. And then number five, false prophets and deception. Matthew 24, verse 11. There will be many misleading uh, teaching. And I I would say, even in the Christian church today, there is some misleading teaching that's going on. And you need to be very aware. I've talked about this before. Why it's so important to be in the Word of God is because you cannot just trust just because they have, they're a pastor of a church, does not mean that they are speaking what is from God's authority in His Word. So it's really important to test those things. There's false doctrines, and we know there's going to be misleading teachings out there. Number six, rebirth of Israel. The reestablishment of Israel as a nation is seen by some as a significant time. That is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. And we know in 1948, Israel became a nation. And it's assumed that 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 generation or the interpretation of Ezekiel 37 is that generation will not pass before the return of Jesus Christ comes. And again, we do know that a lot of this is left for interpretation. So um, and remember... Nobody knows the exact time when Jesus comes back, right? Anybody tells you that Jesus is returning at this moment in this time, guess what? They're wrong because the Bible says that nobody knows. Nobody knows. Number seven, the gospel would be preached to all nations. These are signs that are taking place of Jesus' second coming. The gospel will be preached to all nations. Matthew 24, 14. It's really interesting. It says that it'd be preached to all nations before the end will come. And I find it interesting with technology today that even in the most remote areas that people have access to technology that would communicate the gospel or the truth of Jesus. Is that a sign? It very well could be. And then we're told in Luke chapter 21, 25, that there will be, like the wise men encountered, there will be celestial signs. There'll be signs um, in the sun, the moon, the stars. There'll be these events that will take place in preparation for Jesus' second coming. But no one knows the exact time. But remember, signs should lead us to... Remember, always the correct answer whenever I ask is Jesus. You're okay. (laughs) This is not a trick question. Signs should always lead us to Jesus. Well done. Well done. (laughs) But as we look to signs, right? As we look at signs that lead us to Jesus, as we're beginning to be aware of the signs of the times, we're beginning to sense that there's something stirring and they are going to lead us to Jesus. We're not going to get so preoccupied by the signs. We're not going to be looking to the signs, but we're going to be looking to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. We also begin to realize that we can't know everything on our own, that we need to pray for wisdom, James one five says that we need to pray for wisdom, and that we need to search the scriptures, and that we need to ask for guidance from the scriptures. 2 Timothy three sixteen through seventeen is, and again, it says we need to seek out the scriptures. We need to ask for the, that guidance, and then last, we need to seek counsel from mature believers. Proverbs eleven fourteen. There, there's something about seeking counsel that begins to create an assureness for us. When we pray for wisdom, we begin to start seeing that the Holy Spirit will work in and through our lives. And if you're new to church, if you're new to this church, if you're new to faith, or maybe you even haven't started your faith walk with Jesus yet, know this, that when you accept Jesus into your life, his spirit then begins to indwell inside of you. And when we pray for wisdom, we're asking that the we give permission for the Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us discernment and to lead us into those paths that he wants us to, to go in. But then we have to say that it's not just the sign and we're not just wisdom, but then we're, we're measuring that up with the scripture. And remember, there will be nothing that the God will ask us to do that will be contrary to his scripture. It will always align to scripture. And then finally, There's something about going to somebody who's walked with Jesus a lot longer than you have and saying, hey, I'm thinking of this. What do you think? There's safety in that. And I know sometimes we don't want that. We just want to say, oh, this is a sign. And and you're using it really as evidence to do really what you want to do. Have you been there? I think we all have. Because sometimes our own selfishness, we just want to do what we want to do. But I would say in this time, I would encourage us to continue to press into Jesus and see the signs and look for the signs for sure, but signs should always lead us to Jesus. The wise men, the magi, were interested and fascinated by this star, this sign that they saw in the sky. And they obviously had studied ancient scripture to realize that a significant event was about to take place. And they followed the star, followed the sign. But this sign led them to Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who came as a baby. But there will be a day again that more signs will transpire and will lead us to Jesus again. But now it's not a baby in a manger. It is a king on a throne our soon coming king. I don't know about you, but I just wake up in the morning and I'm just anticipating that. I also know that, that whether he comes back in my lifetime or not, guess what? I'm going to meet Jesus face to face. I was starting to think about that. I'm in my 50s now. I know I'm getting to be an old man, but I'm in my 50s now. And those of you who are in your 60s and 70s said, you're just a young man. But but I've been starting to think, and I'm sure this happens to everybody in their middle age, right? They begin to start reassessing their life and really looking at it. And I was like, you know, I probably got 30 great years left. If if Jesus doesn't come back, I I don't know. Maybe tomorrow I'm going to walk out and get hit by a car, right? (laughs) Maybe. We hope not. But... But I've just realized that I want to live my life to the fullest every day. And I'm okay with the signs, but I want the signs to lead me to Jesus. I want to end with this scripture in Luke chapter 22. Verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth. Distress of nations In perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming on a cloud. With power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place. Straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then Jesus goes on to say the lesson of the fig tree. He says this, And he told them that parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees. He's saying, it's okay to look for signs. As soon as they come out of leaf, you will see yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Then he goes on to say this, and I think this is our takeaway, because signs lead us to Jesus. Jesus. But watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with... uh, Dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. That the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. In other words, you're not aware because you've just been so preoccupied with with life and having fun or wine or alcohol. For it will come upon you, all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. In other words, everyone's going to be affected. But stay awake at all times. It's not saying don't go to sleep. He's talking about spiritual awakeness. Stay awake at all times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the son of man. And to stand before the son of man. If you've been around Grace Chapel Church for some time, you, you know what I will say to you. What is our purpose? We're getting more people ready to meet Jesus face to face. And that means getting ourselves ready. This Christmas season, let us not be so preoccupied by the busyness or the gifts or the gatherings. And we forget that we are to prepare ourselves to worship our, not only the king who came to the world, our savior of the world some 2000 years ago, but we get to worship an alive Jesus who is alive today. And he's gonna be our soon coming king. Prepare your hearts to meet Jesus face to face. Would you do that? Because be looking around. The signs are telling us something. And it's okay to look at the signs. But the signs will lead us to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that we would continue to be vigilant. Let us not get so preoccupied with the cares of this world. Or numbing ourselves from from feeling these feelings. Or getting so preoccupied with life that we don't have our heads lifted up to see the signs that are around us. But Lord, let us not just get fascinated with signs and and lose our faith or preoccupied by the happenings of the world, but realize that all signs should lead us to Jesus. Keep that in our hearts, Lord, that we would be prepared for your return. As we come into this Christmas season, let us be aware of what you're doing currently, not just looking back in history. Yes, celebrating that, Jesus, you came to earth as a baby. Thank you. The simplicity of that, the way that you came, Jesus, in a manger, humbly, open to all. But Jesus, let us not remember, let us not forget that, that, that we don't just worship a person who is in history, but you are alive in a well and we, we worship you, Jesus, our soon coming king who will be the ruler, who is the ruler of all the universe. And that we get to come before you and worship you and give our lives to you and point others to you. Father, help us to experience this Christmas season, in anticipation of your return, celebrating who you are today and tomorrow and forever. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time.